First Corinthians chapters 12 through 14 are the cure for ignorance concerning spiritual gifts. And last week, we began by laying a foundation for heading through all of these chapters. There's so much in them. They're fascinating, amazing aspect of the Christian life having to do with the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, how they're to operate in our lives, how they're to operate in a local church. We wanted to lay a little bit of a foundation concerning the Holy Spirit before we headed into all of this. And so we did so by noting that the Holy Spirit is a person, why that's important, that the Holy Spirit provides us with the how, that is the power to live the what of God's Word, that there's no commandment that He calls us to obey except He gives us the power to obey it. And there's no promise that He gives us in His Word except He's going to be faithful to that promise. And we can step out in faith in that promise uh, by His Holy Spirit. Third, we saw that the work of the Holy Spirit in a Christian's life will always look like Jesus. In other words... Uh, The Holy Spirit is safe. He can be trusted. He can be surrendered to in the same way that we wouldn't have any question about doing so with Jesus himself. And then we also noticed how to personally receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our lives and his power through the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And this week, we're going to examine the beautiful revelation, the beautiful truth that Every single individual Christian has been given a supernatural gift of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God and for the purpose of being a prophet or a blessing to others in the body of Christ. That's something to think about. You sit here this morning and you're a Christian. God has a spiritual gift handpicked for you, chosen for you. He's called you to do certain things for Him, to live for Him in a lot of different environments. We all wear a lot of different hats in life. And knowing how He wants to spend our lives and use our lives, He's given every single one of us a supernatural gift that he has picked out in order to make our lives uh, supernaturally effective and fruitful for God's glory, but then also to be a blessing and to profit other people. I don't know if if that excites you, but that excites me. It's wonderful to have... Aren't presents wonderful? Ah. Lord, I know... I know these are not all mannequins. Aren't presents wonderful? They are wonderful. We love presents. Christmas time, it's a great thing, isn't it? Presents and all. That's not the meaning of Christmas. We understand that. We like presents, anticipation of a bicycle that might be waiting for us, or um, one of those little ovens that had the light bulb that you could heat the little jiffy cake and eat it, you know, or a doll or whatever it might be. Today they give all kinds of different gifts. I mean, every illustration I use is 30 years old, 40 years old, 50 years old. I don't know what people get for Christmas anymore. But I do know, if you have never made a little jiffy cake... And one of those ovens in eaten one, then you haven't had a childhood. You were robbed <laughs> of a childhood. Now we get excited about gifts. We should get excited about gifts. Think about God. God Almighty has a gift for you. He knows you inside and out for you and chosen by Him for your life. Really really amazing. Now, the Christian life is the most exciting life that a person can possibly live because it's the way that we've been created to live. But it's also the most exciting life that we can live on many levels. When 
one of the reasons is because it's a supernatural life. It's supernatural in its wisdom. We have the Bible. It's supernatural in its power, the power of the Holy Spirit to live this life. It's also supernatural in its gifting. And I want you to notice, because I want you to see it with your very own eyes in your very own Bible that's sitting on your lap, that this passage teaches that every Christian is supernaturally gifted by God. And if you don't circle it with a pen in your Bible, circle it with your eyes. Notice in verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Verse 11. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Verse 6. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same Spirit who works all in all. Every Christian has at least one spiritual gift. Some of you may have more than that given to us from God. That's the first thing we need to do is just stop and realize that. Some of us in the room are probably hearing that for the very first time in our Christian lives. And you say, I can't believe it. Believe it. It's true. Well, that raises the question then, what are the spiritual gifts that God gives to us? And there are several lists in the New Testament of spiritual gifts. One of them is here right in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where we've just read. He goes on and he lists a few more at the end of chapter 12 and uh, verse 28 and beyond. He also lists some of the spiritual gifts in the book of Romans chapter 12 and also Ephesians uh, chapter 4. And I'd like you to allow me to just give you a brief run-through uh, of the spiritual gifts that are listed in Scripture. And we begin here where we've read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in verse 8 where Paul makes mention of this gift called the word of wisdom. The word of wisdom is not natural wisdom, but it is supernatural wisdom given to us by God for a given situation. I think about specifically related to this gift, the how the Holy Spirit gave the early church a word of wisdom in dealing with a controversy that was going on in the first century church. And all of this is recorded in Acts chapter 8. And Paul had gone around, God had used him and had used lots of other people to establish a lot of great churches. And no sooner were these great, authentic, wonderful churches being established, but then there was a group of false teachers known as Judaizers who would come in behind them and they would begin to teach all of these Gentiles, non-Jews, who were coming to know Christ and Jews that were coming to know Christ in these churches as well. And they were saying, listen, in order for you to be a Christian, it's not enough for you to believe in Jesus and trust in him. You also have to be circumcised according to the law of Moses, and you also have to keep the law of Moses. Well, this was absolutely false doctrine and false teaching concerning salvation. Paul confronted them as well as Barnabas and called on them to stop their teaching, and decided that this issue needed to be taken before what was known as the Jerusalem Council, the leaders of the church who were in Jerusalem, to bring this before them and say, what are we going to do about this? They're bringing a whole different message about salvation than the one that we know to be true. So Paul and Barnabas, as well as others, came to Jerusalem. They come before the apostles and other leaders in the early church, Paul and Barnabas begin to share with them about how Gentiles are being saved all over the place, the miracles that are occurring, they're being baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they give kind of a missionary report to these uh, who are in uh, Jerusalem. And then a great discussion ensued as Paul introduced the subject of of this legalism that was being taught that was false. And uh, we're, to- we're told that literally a great discussion ensued. There was great debate, great talking back and forth related to the whole issue. After a time, the Apostle Peter, he stands up and he speaks. He sits down. 
Paul and Barnabas again begin to speak about how God is saving the Gentiles, the wonderful things that's happening out there, and God bearing witness to the gospel. And then they sit down, and then there was silence. And then James spoke, and he declared that concerning the Gentiles, that they ought to write to them to abstain from things polluted to idols, from sexual immorality, and from things strangled and from blood. But they had no other concern related to to the keeping of the law of Moses as an application related to a Christian. And when he spoke those things, it, it was like that was it. Everyone in the room realized God has spoken on this issue. The Gentiles who are saved are not to be brought under the law of Moses, but they should honor these particular commandments that are also reflected in the New Testament. And later on, this group of leaders would send out a letter to the Gentile churches and declare, for so it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. I've been in so many meetings in the last 30 years as a pastor where some kind of a problem has occurred, some kind of a controversy, a situation, a difficult one is happening, and there will be a number of leaders who will come together to seek the mind of the Lord. And what in the world is happening here? What is to be our response? What does the Word say about this? And uh, sometimes we'll spend hours just in prayer and in discussion and more prayer and more discussion related to it, iron sharpening iron, looking at it from all kinds of different angles and all. And then all of a sudden in that meeting, boom, someone speaks up. And when they speak related to the situation, everyone in the room realizes that was the mind of the Lord. That was a word of wisdom right from God. That's exactly what we need to do in this situation and the decision that we need to make. That's the mind of the Lord on this situation. And it's nothing less than God manifesting a word of wisdom through one of his servants in a setting like that. And it's powerful and it's beautiful and it's supernatural. He talks about the word of knowledge also in verse 8. And the word of knowledge is uh, when God reveals to you a fact or a piece of knowledge that we couldn't otherwise know unless God supernaturally revealed that to you. Jesus has exhibited it as he did all of these gifts that are listed in the early part of chapter 12 here, except for the gift of tongues. He manifested all of these in his ministry. And he was in John chapter 4 talking with a woman at the well, and he began to speak to this woman and share with her. She had questions for him, and she, he then said to her, Go get your husband. She said, I have no husband. And then Jesus said to her, You've rightly spoken that you have no husband, You've had five husbands, and the man that you're living with now, you aren't married to. And she said, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Um, he's more than a prophet. But it was a word of, of knowledge related to that situation. In terms of this gift, I can't help but think about Acts chapter 5, where the Lord revealed the sin of Ananias to the apostle Peter there. And Peter spoke to Ananias and said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back a part of the peace of the land, keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? And Ananias had taken, he had sold a part of property that was his, it belonged to him, and he took the proceeds from it and he kept a part of it for himself and a part of it he then kind of gave to the apostles at some kind of a public worship meeting that was going on, but he gave the appearance he was giving all of the money. He didn't have to give any money, but this was hypocrisy. The church was young. It was new. It was pure. God was going to protect it from this kind of of hypocrisy and defilement. And God spoke to Peter and showed him exactly what Ananias had done. He had done it in secret. God, of course, had seen it, reveals it to Peter, and then Peter took and uh, 
uh, spoke the judgment that came upon Ananias and all of it again to protect the purity of that early church. And, and that was just a word of knowledge that was operating through Peter. I remember when I was a new Christian, I went out street witnessing in Napa, which is where I got saved. And uh, their main drag there, McHenry, is a street called Jefferson Street. And I went out street witnessing with a guy by the name of Jim. We were both young. He was older in the Lord than I was. And so we went out and were sharing the Lord with people. And up on the north end of Jefferson in those days was where the McDonald's was. And that was the hot spot for Napa at that time. And on Friday and Saturday nights, everybody would go up there and... So we're witnessing, making our way up the street, ultimately to get there. And uh, so we get there, and there's this. we're sharing the Lord with everybody, and there's this group of guys, four, five, six guys, and they're, you know, they're all young bucks, and they're good-looking, and they're, you know, in the right clique and the right crowd and the whole thing. And, and uh, they got their cars, really hot-looking cars, all parked right toward the street, you know, chick magnets and the whole thing that they're doing. And they went out there on Jefferson, not with the idea of, hey, let's go out to Jefferson and some Jesus freaks will talk to us about the Lord and we'll get saved. That's the last thing on their mind. They're, they're about a whole different world of things. So we're sharing the Lord with them. And Jim turns to this one guy... And he begins to speak like one, two, three word of knowledge, things that he could not know about this guy except God was telling him right on the spot. So he says, hey, this is what's going on in your life. Boom, 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 boom. And here's what God says about that. And I, my eyes, you know, like Marty Feldman, they got gigantic, you know, and I'm just thinking, hey, Jim, you know, we're just sharing the Lord. We know that's from the Bible. We know that's safe. But you're going out here saying some stuff that if it isn't true, we're going to look really stupid out here. Everything that Jim spoke to him, it was my first experience with word of knowledge operating that way. Everything spoke exactly to that situation. And in the most unlikely environment for a guy in his hip condition to accept the Lord, he accepted the Lord right on the street on, on Jefferson. And that's the way a word of knowledge will work. God shows you something that you wouldn't otherwise uh, know. Now... Um, it's important to realize that of these nine gifts that are listed in this early part of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that except for the gift of tongues, God initiates all of those gifts. You can't initiate them. I can't initiate them. I can't walk in and say, okay, you guys want a word of knowledge? Here's a word of knowledge, and boom, I give it to you. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. It only operates in our life as God gives it to us to have it operate. And so he may take and he may give, you may have a gift of knowledge. He uses you in that way. And he may give you six words of knowledge on, in one day and then not uh, use you in that way except one time the following week. Or it may be months before he uses you again in that way. So it isn't something that we draw up, we make happen. He's the one that uses these gifts through our lives when, when he, uh, he chooses to. As he says there in verse uh, 11, he manifests them individually as he wills, that is, as the Holy Spirit wills. Then in verse 9, there's the gift of faith. And this is the supernatural faith that God will give to us if he's asking us to do something that is beyond the realm of normal faith. What is normal faith? Normal faith is saving faith. Everybody has the ability, everybody has the faith that God gives them if they will use it to trust in Christ for their salvation. And then there's the faith that comes by hearing the Word of God. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Our faith grows as Christians the more we know about the Bible and the more we know of the Bible because the more we know of the Bible, then the more we know of God and the more that we know of God, the more we know He's trustworthy and worthy of our faith. And so... Faith is always a byproduct of that. That is happening in all of our lives as Christians. That's not the gift of faith. The gift of faith is special faith. It's the kind of faith that God gave 
Elijah on Mount Carmel with that showdown with the uh, prophets of Baal. New Testament example of it would be when Peter and John, uh, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 3, they're going up to uh, the temple area in Jerusalem in order to worship the Lord the ninth hour of the day, three in the afternoon. It was a specific time of prayer. And so they were heading up to the temple area, and they went through a gate that was called the Beautiful Gate. And at that Beautiful Gate, there was a man that was sitting there begging of people that were going in, uh, religious crowds or generous people by and large. He's planted there. He's, he's never been able to use his legs his whole life. He depended on begging in order to survive. And so he's begging there. They go through the gate. And as he's uh, begging in that uh, situation, Peter stops and he fixes his eyes on the man. And Peter said to him, look at us. And the man did look at him because if you're begging and someone says, look at us, then the next thing is you're going to get a little bit of coin out of this. And Peter then speaks to him and says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give unto you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And Peter took him by the right hand, lifted him up, and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. He starts to jump, he starts to dance, he starts to leap. Now remember, he doesn't know what that feels like. He doesn't know from his mother's womb what it feels like to walk to jump, to dance, to do any of it. So he all starts to do all of it all at once, and the crowd realizes that something miraculous has happened there. Now, Peter, when he takes, and and it, every time Peter went everywhere he went, there were lame people all over the world at that time, and he didn't do this with every single lame man. The Holy Spirit probably gave Peter four gifts of the Holy Spirit and that whole situation, gave him a, a word of knowledge, I'm going to heal that guy, gave him a word of wisdom, gave him a gift of miracles, and then gave him the gift of faith, the faith to stop, to pronounce that related to his life, and then to raise him up in that way. It's the kind of thing with a gift of faith It's where when we look back at that situation later on, we can't believe that we did what we did. Say, man, I don't know what happened to me. Now I don't know that I would do that now, but I did that way back then. And the only thing that we can explain it related to is God gave us a gift of faith to do what he was calling us to do and a supernatural faith because of the greatness of what he was calling us to do. For sure, in my life and my wife Karen's life, he gave us a gift of faith to uh, leave everything and move to Modesto to start a church 30 years ago. That was just crazy uh, for us to think that we could ever be a part of anything like that. And yet he put the call and he gave a gift of faith related to it so that it was just like you couldn't think of There was no obstacle that could enter in your mind that was greater than the faith that God is giving you in order to obey him and whatever it is he's calling you to do. And so with this gift, the human impossibility of what God is calling you to do, it's just supernaturally overwhelmed with a great and unshakable faith and confidence in God. And it's a wonderful thing. God calls us, and then he'll couple it with a gift of faith. Gifts of healings are mentioned in verse 9. That's not referring to talented doctors, though we love talented doctors. This is when God uses a Christian to channel a, a, a supernatural healing into the life of another person who's in need of physical healing. The Gospels are full of this gift in operation. Uh, not just in Jesus' life, but the disciples. The book of Acts is filled with gifts of healings. Church history is full of examples of this. And as well as, I would venture to guess that every single church in this community, no matter how large it is or small it is, 
has had this gift be manifested in their uh, midst, where somebody received one of these gifts of healings when there is no other explanation for the healing that came to their body. It is a gift that operates even today. Then there's the working of miracles, verse 10. Uh, We saw that in Jesus. He turned water into wine. He did a lot of miracles. Peter in Acts chapter 9, when he raised Dorcas from uh, the dead, You remember Paul when he suffered shipwreck and he was on the island of Malta and the storm is going on and and everybody's life was saved but the ship was completely lost. And it's raining and it's cold and it's wet and everybody starts to collect wood for the fire. Paul goes out and he collects wood. He doesn't know. It's a cold temperature. There's a reptile, a viper that is in the wood that he's collected. He takes to throw it on the fire. The heat of the fire kind of wakes it up and it uh, it attaches to him. And so he's bitten by the snake. And what does he do? He just simply takes it and he shakes it off uh, into the fire. And everybody's waiting for him to like balloon up and, and become paralyzed and then die. And he didn't do that. And uh, and... And because this miracle within his life, a great number of people on that island came to know the Lord. I think of Paul when he was uh, cast the demons out of that uh, slave girl there in the city of Philippi. And he he took and uh, cast that demon out, another evidence of the working of miracles. And again, so many examples from the Gospels and from the Acts, book of Acts. And these miracles happen all over the world today by the Holy Spirit. He talks about prophecy in verse 10. Sometimes we think about prophecy as prophecy being someone telling the future, foretelling the future, but that's not how it's used in the Bible. It has that element to it, but prophecy literally means to speak forth or to tell forth on behalf of God. It is God speaking a message through a person to another person or to uh, an audience. And so the Holy Spirit just speaking a message through a human instrument. In chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, verse 3, we have the great definition of what a prophecy will look like and what it will sound like. Paul wrote, For he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. And so when God speaks a word of prophecy through a person, it will either build people up or it will stir people up or it will lift people up. It will comfort them. It will do uh, one of those things. When you read in the Old Testament prophets, you read uh, their prophecies and you realize there's a certain portion of their prophecies had to do with foretelling the future. But the overwhelming majority of their prophecies were to speak forth from God, to speak against sin, um, to speak for righteousness, to call the nation to be what God had called them to be. So it has both elements involved in it. Sometimes you'll hear this gift of prophecy occur in the course of uh, someone when they're teaching the Bible. The gift of teaching is just simply reading, explaining, and applying the Word of God. So you've got a pastor or someone who's teaching the Word of God. You're listening to the teaching, and he or she is um, reading and explaining and applying the Word of God. And then all of a sudden, they get on some kind of a something where they start to speak related to it, and you realize it completely new dynamic has been added to the teaching gift here, and this is God speaking to me or speaking to us right now. And it's a gift of prophecy being brought alongside uh, a gift uh, of teaching, and it's a very, very uh, powerful experience, and it's a needed experience. Now, all prophecy is to be tested by the Word of God. The Word of God is the standard. It's what everything else is tested by. And so there isn't new revelation from God on a par with Scripture. Prophecy isn't given that kind of a place. But God does speak through people um, into individuals' lives or into a church's life through this gift. Notice number 7 in verse 10, there's the discerning of spirits. 
And the gift of discerning of spirits is uh, to be given this divine revelation of what spirit is operating behind what we're seeing and what we're hearing uh, before our eyes. Now, in the world that we live in, there's three spirits that are always operating. There is the spirit of man, and there are demonic spirits, and there is the Holy Spirit. Those three spirits, always working. And the gift of discerning of spirits allows a person to watch something, hear something, and know what spirit is behind what's happening there. It's a very, very necessary gift on a lot of levels, but it's super important in the lives of uh, leaders who are overseeing a church to be able to look at something and know what spirit is behind what's happening here. Now, for instance, every one of us as Christians, we have discernment by the Word of God. We take whatever we're listening to or we're seeing, we test it by the Word of God, and we have a level of discernment, a very high level of discernment as a result of that. Additionally, in 1 John chapter 2, we have an anointing of the Holy Spirit that's upon our lives that protects us from what is false. If you've ever been as a Christian in a situation or in a meeting where somebody's saying something or maybe watching Christian television, um, but where something is going on, something's happening, it looks like one thing. All of the words seem to be sounding right, but down in your innards, in your spirit, you've just got this check and it's like something is wrong here. There's something not right about this situation, not right about what's happening here. And so often that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit in each one of our lives to protect us uh, from error or being pulled into something that is uh, wrong and away from Christ. So we all experience that kind of, of a thing. The gift of discerning of spirits is something on top of that. And, and it is the ability to not only be in a room or listening to someone and going, man, something's not right here. Something's not right here. I can't put my finger on it, but something's not right here. With discerning of spirits, you can put your finger on it. I think about always in this vein, I think about Paul when he was in the city of Philippi, Acts chapter 16, and he is preaching the gospel in that city, and he's uh, having an effective work. And there was a young girl there, a young lady, who was a slave who was demon-possessed, and she was owned by several owners, not by one person. They were using her to tap into the devil in order to make money off of her, kind of like, you know, seance things or... Um, you know, fortune reading or whatever kind of thing. They had found a way to make money off of her tragic condition. Did not want her to be delivered of that demon. She was a cash cow for them. That's a pretty hard heart. You stay in that condition every day so we can make money, but that's what was going on. Well, Paul comes into the city and he starts preaching the gospel. How much or little of this he knows concerning all of that, we don't know. He's preaching the gospel She comes in the midst of everything that he's saying and saying, listen to these men, they are delivering the message of the Most High God. So everything she's saying is right, everything looks right on the outward, and yet Paul looks and says, this is not the Holy Spirit, this isn't even the spirit of man, this is the demonic spirit that's speaking, and he casts the demon out of her life. The discerning of spirits, so important. Uh, in the world today where there's so much spiritual deception going on. Then he talks about in verse 10 the gift of tongues and interpretation of tongues. Nobody has any interest in that at all. So we'll just skip that and go on to something else. Nothing controversial about it at all. Um, We'll talk about that at length in another session. But sufficient for our time here this morning, the gift of tongues is a supernatural enablement by the Holy Spirit to speak praise and prayer and worship and thanksgiving to God 
in a language that the Holy Spirit gives a person to communicate uh, those things. The interpretation of tongues is a supernatural gift that God gives that reveals what's being spoken in tongues in a language that we can understand. Again, we'll talk more about that another time. Verse 28, as we go down to the end of the chapter, he lists the gift of helps. And this is a Holy Spirit-given desire and empowerment to help people in need. So here's a supernatural, God-given burden and gifting for helping the needy, helping the poor, helping the afflicted, helping the sick. And not everybody is gifted in that way. Everybody can do it. Everybody should do it to meet a need. But these folks have a gift to be involved in those kind of situations, situations where people need help. The gospel mission is filled with people that have this gift. Every food pantry in the city that's associated with Christ is manned and womaned by people who have this particular gift. You get someone who, uh, if you were to tell them, listen, this coming Sunday morning, um, you're teaching the Bible study. If you told them that, they would catch the first flight for Uruguay, for Argentina, for Russia, for wherever to escape that. But if they hear about the fact that somebody is older or somebody has just had surgery and they're not able to fix a a leaky faucet or to mow their lawns for the next three months, they get all excited about that and they will take care of that. And it's a gift of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. You put some people in that place, they'll do it out of necessity and and there'll be a reward for it and it's a blessing and it's good and we should do that. But they'll burn out over the long haul. You've got somebody that has that gift and they just, it's so rewarding to them to do that and what they receive from the Lord, what they feel afterwards is every bit as great as anyone ever feels when they've taught a Bible study and everything went great. There's also the gift of administrations in verse 28. And the word that's used for administrations there is an ancient Greek word that was used for the navigator of a ship, someone who uh, steers or directs a ship. And so someone with a gift of administrations are those who are able to, in a church context, which is what we're talking about, to steer a church through a crisis or through uh, difficult storms or difficult waters. And the person with the gift of administration, they keep things organized, they keep things in uh, on course. You want board members to have this kind of a gift. They, need, they have to have that kind of a gift to be on a church board and to be helpful at all. You certainly want your church administrators to have this gift, and we're very blessed in that way to have administrators who are uh, strongly gifted in this area. A person with this kind of a gift, they walk into an office, they unlock the door, they walk in, there's a desk, and there's the in basket, and it's three feet high with paper and things that need to be done. And every one of those papers represents a project and a problem. And there are some people who'd come, they'd unlock that door, open it up, see that, and close that door, lock it, and then they'd follow their friend Argentina or Uruguay or Russia on the next flight. Someone with a gift of administration, they walk in and they get excited. They go grab a suit, they go grab a jug of coffee and they come back to their desk and they're as happy as can be in knocking all of these things out and organizing all everything related to the church and in people's lives as well. And without them, the, the church just becomes this mess of disorganization. Uh, You've got to have your vision people in a church. you got to have people who are always thinking about the next thing they're going to do. You get the visionaries and they just say, all right, troops, we're going to just... We're going to run right through that wall right there. And they run through the wall. And then, okay, the next thing we're going to do for God is this. And we're going to run through that concrete wall that's on the other side of this wall. And they do it. 
And you got to have those kinds of men and women who have vision. Vision is priceless stuff and it's valuable stuff. And you got to have the gift of faith that's operating in their life as well. But the administration gift comes alongside and says, God bless you, visionaries. You left quite a mess here. That wall is a mess. But we will clean it up for you. We'll support you in all this. You just keep on moving forward. And it all works wonderfully together. Then you've got additional gifts, as I mentioned, that are listed in Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. One of those gifts is the gift of ministry. And the Greek word is uh, diakonia. We get our word deacon from that particular uh, Greek word. And you've got where somebody is prophesying, uh, uh, that has a gift of prophecy. There are people who are declaring truth. A person who's gifted with the gift of ministry, they kind of are the ones who practice truth and physically uh, serving the people and our deacons in this church and way beyond those that are deacons. So many people are gifted in this way, taking care of the physical needs that are uh, all around us. Then there's the gift of teaching, uh, also um, listed there. Teaching, as I mentioned, where God calls somebody and gifts them to read the Word, explain the Word, and apply the Word for how it, what it means to our relationship with God today. Then there's the gift of exhortation, and that means to apply the truth. And someone with a gift of exhortation, they are a, they stir people to obedience. When you listen to someone who is a teacher and they have a pure gift of exhortation, sometimes you can go, man, I just wanted, I just wanted a hug today and instead you got me conquering the world again, you know? So sometimes there's a mix of things, but a person with a gift of exhortation will never let a church body fall asleep. It's always the, the next thing. We can do it. God is great, and God is going to be great inside of us. Let's move forward. And this is that kind of gift. They stir people. Uh, they don't let people fall asleep with a gift of exhortation, and it's a very, very important gift in the body of Christ. And then he also mentions in Romans chapter 12 the gift of giving. And uh, now, every Christian is called to financially, uh, to give financially toward God's work through tithes and through offerings. And, and so don't think, oh my, wow, what have I been doing all these years? I don't have the gift of giving. We'll leave it to those people. No, every Christian is to give toward God's work. And there's a whole reason for all of that, and I don't have time to get into that this morning. So that's just a common denominator in all of our lives. But here is a gift that God places upon a person where they are, as a Christian, gifted by God to give, to materially bless other people. And they just they have a very mature understanding of money. They realize that, all right, we want to reach the world, but missionaries need clothes. Missionaries need a vehicle to drive. Missionaries need food to eat. Missionaries need medical care. Uh, or anything that happens related to the body of Christ, that money is a tool. It can be used for good things. It can be used for bad things. And they recognize that it's a tool. It's a needed tool to advance the kingdom of God. And they are excited to be uh, a part uh, of that. And they love to give toward it. And when they become aware of a material need in someone else's life, they immediately begin to seek the Lord about his direction uh, financially concerning that need. And so they're gifted to give. And it's a beautiful gift. And most of the people that I have known through the years, and I've known quite a few that have this gift, it is real. It is real as any other gift. And they do it very privately, and they do it very, very quietly, and they, but they operate in that gift. Every single person who's sitting in this room right now, and myself included, though I'm standing, we are the beneficiaries of men and women who have the gift of giving towards God's work in this church. It's also very important to understand 
that you don't have to be rich to be a part of this. So often we think giving, all right, wait a second, that's you got to, because the government's all this, here's middle class, here's, here, and then we put impose this whole thing upon God. God can take person, a person who is considered to be relatively poor in the eyes of the world, and he can say, I'm going to make you a channel because you're in contact with people that I want to channel resources into their life that this person will never come into contact with. And sometimes it's not the amount of the money. Sometimes a dollar or five dollars or 50 cents or 25 dollars in a certain situation, in that situation, it has the impact that it would take $10,000 or $20,000 to have the impact over here. So never look and say, ah, that's a gift that I don't have because I'm not making $250,000 a year or more. And so this beautiful gift that God just takes this person and says, I'm going to channel money and resources through you to other people. It's beautiful. Then there's the gift of leading, he mentions in Romans. And uh, some people are gifted by God to lead. It's an important spiritual gift. Not everybody is, and that's okay. But if you have leaders, if you have people who are over ministries in terms of authority or in terms of position over ministries, and they don't have a gift to lead, then that ministry isn't going to go anywhere. It's just going to flounder, and it's going to stagnate, and it's going to fail. The gift of leading is very important. He talks also there about the gift of mercy, and that's a supernatural gift of encouragement. And that would be needed lots of different areas in life, one-on-one. I mean, all of us need mercy. All of us hit situations in our life where we look and say, Oh, that guy's got a gift of exhortation. I think I'm going to go over here. I don't need any exhortation today. I think it'd be uh, the, what would quench the smoking flax today. I'm going to find a person with a gift of mercy and a person who brings tremendous mercy and encouragement to people's lives. Someone with a ministry in hospitals or in convalescent homes or where people are in a a position of tremendous vulnerability in their life at the moment or maybe for a long season, the gift of mercy is so uh, important in, in our lives. And so not everybody has this gift. And if you have that gift, do not put it in a napkin, bury it, and not use it. It is desperately needed in the body of Christ. You say, I I never thought of it as a gift or anything like that. Well, think of it as a gift and uh, uh, use it. Not everyone is like that, and not everyone has uh, that particular gift. Now, let me say this. As Paul lists all these different gifts that he's laying out here, um, he's talking about these gifts principally for how they operate within a local church. And, and Christians towards Christians or Christians involved in, in overtly Christian work of missions or sharing the gospel or that kind of thing. But I, I don't think that it's restricted in that way. Um, if you are... Um, I always think about Cindy Marks in this vein. She's uh, uh, on the board of Modesto City Schools. And that, that's a miracle and it's a blessing and it's God's calling upon her life. And it is a full-time thing for her. And so just because her ministry principally does not operate within the 16.7 acres of Calvary Chapel Modesto, and she attends here, uh, doesn't mean that that gift isn't supposed to operate out where she is in what God has called her to do. And so God has called her to be on that school board. He is going to then add to her the spiritual gifts that are needed for him to be glorified there and for her to be supernaturally effective in a way that profits other people. If you own a business, you take someone who owns a restaurant. How many hours a day do you work when you own a restaurant? At least 16 when you're starting out. 
But it's not just the restaurant business. You can be in business or doing some kind of a thing and you say, listen, pastor, I mean, you want me to do a home Bible study or you want me to become an elder or a member of the board or this, I can barely do what I'm doing. But what I'm doing on a daily basis, I am doing as unto the Lord. This is what I'm called to do. I am called by God to own this body shop and turn out the finest car repairs in Modesto for God's glory. That's what I'm doing. And when a person knows that to be the truth about uh, them, then God is going to add spiritual gifts to their life because that's not about making money to them, though they need to make money. It's about glorifying God. The same thing is true of doctors. The same thing is true of someone who is a nurse or a student or a mother or so forth. And it's important to realize that it can operate more broadly outside of a formal church uh, ministry. But no one, no Christian should ever neglect a calling that God has on your life to edify and bless a local church and say, I'm not going to do that because this is enough what I'm doing out here. Uh, most of the work that gets done around here and the ministry that happens is happening because people are being obedient to their calling in a very large other place in their life, but they're also serving within their gift within the local church. But that's between the Lord and an individual. So just to realize, hey, These gifts can be in my life, operating in my life, in a secular environment for God's glory uh, as uh, well. So uh, that's how it operates. So this brings us to the final question, and I close with this. What in the world is my gift, and how can I know what it is? Well, if you just form a line right here, and I'll just tell you as you come forward. I wish it was that easy. I don't wish, but... I can't give you like this easy one, two, three, and then, and, and then it just pops up and, you know, here, uh, here's your answer. But I think I can give you a couple tips to help point you in the right direction. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse um, 31, we're told that we need to desire earnestly the best gifts. That's to be our attitude towards spiritual gifts. It is unacceptable. I'm not accusing anyone. It is unacceptable for a Christian to be lukewarm related to spiritual gifts. That doesn't get to work. Doesn't get to work at all. We are to desire earnestly to know what is God's call upon my life and what gift or gifts has he given to me to be supernaturally effective and fruitful in that calling. And so uh, that desire to be everything that God wants us to be, to have everything that God has forced, it begins with desiring earnestly the best gifts. Then the second thing that we need to do is then, with that attitude, to just seek the Lord in prayer related to this. Just start talking with him about it. Lord, I heard this sermon today about that guy who was talking about these things. He said, I never heard about this before. I have the slightest idea what your call is on my life, much less what spiritual gift you've given to me. And you just start to talk with him about that. And you ask, Lord, would you show that to me? And he'll be faithful to do it. You do it with the confidence of knowing that as much as you want to know what God's calling is on your life and the gift that he has given to you, he wants you in that calling even more, and he wants you to have that gift even more, so he will get you there. He will, whatever it takes, he will get you to that place. But the importance of praying uh, to him. So there's an element where, yes, we desire earnestly, but we relax, we realize God's going to get me to this place Everyone in the world that is serving the Lord, and there are Christians by the hundreds of millions all around the world that are serving him, they've been right where all of us are, and that is they begin their Christian life, or at some point they get exposed to these kind of things, and they realize, I don't know what that calling is. I don't know what that gifting is. I need you to show me God. God shows them, and they're off and running. He has his own ways of showing us, but he will do that. Additionally, there's an illustration that I like related to all of this. I heard it years and years ago, 
And I think it's helpful in helping us to discover and recognize our spiritual gifts and callings. It's not foolproof, but I do think it's helpful. The illustration goes something like this. Say I invite you over for dinner at my house. There you are, guest of Karen and I. Let's say I had a 10-year-old, we had a 10-year-old daughter. We did used to have 10-year-old daughters, but they're all adults now. But let's say we had a 10-year-old daughter, and we have had a sumptuous meal. What would a sumptuous meal be to you? That's what we had. That's the kind of guest that I am. I'm very generous in my illustrations. So we've had this fabulous meal. But, you know, the chairs in the, li- in the dining room are never quite as comfortable as the chairs in the living room. So why eat the dessert and have a cup of coffee there? Let's retire into the living room and enjoy our coffee and dessert there. And so we retire into that area. And my 10-year-old daughter comes from the kitchen area, and she's got two cups of coffee, and they're in a nice little cup and saucers because Karen and I are so civilized. And as she's making her way from the kitchen through the dining area into the living room, ah, the floor covering, it goes from vinyl to a transition where the carpet is there, a little bump right there, she hits that, the coffee goes up into the air, the cups come down, they crash, they break, she falls on her face, and there she is right in front of us. Every one of us, if you're in my living room, You respond viscerally with that situation. You will not just be remain neutral in in it at all. You something will happen to you when you watch all of that happen uh, before your eyes. You're going to respond to that event without even thinking. And I think that sometimes it can uh, reveal something about uh, your gifting and you and and your calling. Now. When that happens, the person with a gift of prophecy, your response would be uh, verbal. You'd come to my daughter and say, honey, listen, you fell. But realize life is full of falls. And and always remember that God is the God of second chances. And and you would console them in that way. The person with the gift of ministry or the gift of helps, your response wouldn't be verbal at all. You wouldn't even enter your mind to say anything in the situation. Your response would be completely physical. You would jump up and immediately begin to help her uh, clean up the mess. The person with the gift of teaching, put her, you know, come alongside her and say, now, honey, let me show you. Now, when you got two cups of coffee, like that. You, you gotta walk carefully when you're coming to a transition. You see the, tra- you saw where it happened. It all happened right there, didn't it? So every time now in the future that you, you know, and then, and this is how you hold the cup in, in times like that. The person with the gift of exhortation come to my daughter and say, listen girl, you can do better than that. We are not going to leave on a miss here. You're going to go right back in there, and you're going to get two mugs of coffee, and you're going to come back in here, and you're going to do right the second time what you might have done the first time. Let's go. Come on. You can do it. Gift of exhortation. The person with the gift of leading, they'll take charge of the whole situation. Who told her to carry that cup of coffee and brought in there? Anybody knows you don't give two cups of hot coffee to a 10-year-old girl who could see from 10 miles off that this was going to be a problem. Somebody get her cleaned up and somebody else, let's get to work on this spill before it permanently stains the carpet here. And in fact, let's rearrange all the furniture in this room. It's all, it's all asymmetrical. This is no way to furnish this room and have everything about it. Let's get it changed. The person has the gift of giving, they will jump up and say, oh, that's too bad. How much did that cup and saucer cost? We're going to need to replace that. They think immediately in terms of money. The person with the gift of mercy, they'll run over. They don't care. They don't care about carpets. They don't care about damage. They don't care about cups. All they care about is the person. Sweetie, you must just feel terrible. But it's okay. You know, one time I was carrying a pot of stew when I was about your age, and, and your response is going to be verbal. And the fact of the matter is, is that we already possess a gift from God. It's not that he's going to give you one as a Christian. You already have it. 
It's already in there. And sometimes it's a circumstance like this that makes it pop up its head so that we recognize it. Or we stop one day and we realize that in situations like this, over and over and over again, I respond in the same way, and it glorifies God, and it profits people. And you may be very well looking face-to-face at the gift that he has given to you. I would say additionally, and in closing, and this is my final closing, be very sensitive to the soft spot in your heart. Begin where you sigh in life. In Mark chapter 7, they brought a deaf and a dumb man to Jesus. He couldn't speak and he couldn't hear. As they brought him to Jesus, it was a beautiful, beautiful scene. Jesus takes his hands and he puts them on the man's head. And he looked up into heaven and he sighed, the Bible says. And when you look at the world around you, what makes you sigh? What makes you sigh? You see, we are the body of Christ. We are his hands. We are his feet. We are his arms. We are his legs. We are his eyes. We are his ears. We are his mouth. We are the body of Christ. And in every situation that we find ourselves in, or those situations that we look at in life, and when we look at those areas, there's a sigh that's produced in us that looks like the kind of sigh that Jesus would give out in the situation. Pay careful attention to that. If you look and you say, my heart is broken at how few people know the Word of God and the richness of what is found in this book, you may very well have a gift to teach. If you look and you say, I, it breaks my heart, I am determined that no one will die in the convalescent hospitals in Modesto without someone there to hold their hand and to pray for them in that situation, then you may very well have the gift of mercy. If you look at the schools and how overwhelmed they are by the culture and so many others, so a lot of it's self-inflicted, but a lot of it isn't. And you look and say, look at what's happening to our young people and the needs that they have. And the teachers are overwhelmed. I'm going to volunteer one day out of the month to come alongside and help in this environment. You may have the gift of helps. That's something to look hard at. But just look. When you look at life, there are situations that make other people angry. They want to nuke everybody that's in that situation. Or they don't even notice it. But it's all you notice. And it may very well be that it is the Holy Spirit inside of you. Sighing, the Spirit of Christ. Sighing through you to give you direction for where the Lord wants to place you to manifest and reveal the Lord in that situation. And I think it's something that's important to listen to in our hearts. So desiring the gifts earnestly, praying, looking at what's already maybe happening in our life to recognize that gifting that's in our life. And where is that soft spot? And I think that can move us right along pretty far down the road in the Lord helping us identify our gift and our calling. I need you to be operating in your calling and in your gifting. Every other Christian in the whole wide world needs you to be in your place and operating there. And never is it more true in our lifetimes than it is today with what we're facing and what we're up against, is it more important for our lives to be marked by the supernatural of the Holy Spirit and the form of these gifts for the profit of others 
and that God might be glorified. Let's stand together and we'll pray. Thank you, Lord, for your gifts. Thank you for your calling. Thank you that you would invest in our lives in this way. We're humbled by it. That you would just take little old people like us and take something from heaven, take something from your Holy Spirit that's so priceless and entrust it to us. And Lord, we pray for one another in this church here this morning. We ask that you would confirm your word today with accompanying signs and wonders and lead each and every one of us that knows you and loves you, Lord, into the fullness of this Christian life. Not the one we've been taught, not the one we've settled into, Lord, but the life that looks like Christ in every way. You know how to get us to recognizing our calling and our gifting, Lord. And we pray for each brother and sister in this room right now that you would bring them into the beauty of that life and into all of the character that will be developed there and all that they will experience between you and them in that place. Do it, Lord, we ask. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.